came a short notice, got the, the call on Tuesday, I think it was, and I was told that we're going somewhere very rustic. When a Zimbo tells you it's very rustic, I really thought we were going to be hunting our own dinner with a knife and <laughs> sleeping under a tree. But it, we actually, we, we slept like kings, we ate like kings, it was a wonderful time. And um, good camp. If, you, if you're a wife here and your, your husband wasn't on the camp, I'm very sorry. We reformatted all of those that were there. They'll be significantly more romantic and uh, pleasant to live with. I don't know how you guys advertise your men's camps. We don't even talk to the men. We talk to the women. It's not like the blokes are going to pack their own bags anyway. We say to our ladies, send your husband. It's going to be worth the investment. And uh, you, you get to have a night off without having to feign a headache or something like that. <laughs> a little bit naughty. Sorry. <laughs> this morning I want to talk on living by faith, not by sight. And I know certainly for the guys down south, sometimes... We, we're not sure what the situation is in Zimbabwe. You can't always trust what's in the media. Uh, it's almost a strange thing for someone like me to be speaking to people like you, living by faith. We feel sometimes like that's all you've got is faith. And that you guys know more about it than probably most countries in the world. But I really felt, just speaking to this thing, and I probably come from a slightly different angle. I had the privilege of studying a BSc uh, for six years. And so that's kind of the natural wiring of my brain. And a lot of scripture and faith and those sorts of things uh, I've looked at it through that lens quite often. If I had to ask the question here, how many of you are scientists? I think probably be a few hands, but most of us wouldn't consider ourselves scientists. But when you start to understand how the human brain actually works, uh, we're all scientists. We are scientists from our first days on this earth. Science is a process by which we come to understand what is reliable information and what isn't reliable information, what is fact and what is fiction. And there's a process that the formal science sector uses to establish it. You start off with an experiment. It's got to be a repeatable experiment. You run the experiment, and the outcome has to be observable. No point running an experiment if you can't see or hear or feel what's going on. It's got to be observable, and it's got to be reasonable, rational, and logical. And so from the earliest age, you start throwing a tennis ball. That's a little experiment that you're repeatedly running over and over and over. And you get to learn. When I have a tennis ball and I throw it, it's got a certain trajectory, and it feels a certain way, it smells a certain way. It is a reliable flight through the air. I can catch it, I can work out where it's going to be in space and time at a certain point. That, that's science, just maybe not what we think of as science. And when we look at what we call to, science, useful in some aspects, but it's incredibly unhelpful when it comes to our faith. Is everything, all the data that we use to, to work out how the world works around us is collected with five senses. You would have learned about this in preschool and probably forgotten about it shortly thereafter. But we, we've got sight, smell, taste, hearing, and touch. And there is no other means by which you and I are able to gather information. If you stop and think about it for a moment. No other way that we interface with the world around us. It's through those five senses, if we have all five of them, and with the, the, all the data coming into our brains, our brains start to work out patterns and what's reliable, what isn't. That's how we make sense of the world around us. There's a story in the Bible that has blessed me, particularly coming from that perspective, of, of the danger that we're in when we start to live using information from our senses. This is what we've been called to as Christians. What we've been called to as Christians is something very different. It's to live not by sight, but by faith. And the natural processes that are happening in this world are very different to what 
the spiritual processes of. We'll come to those just now. And so I want to read this story out of Genesis chapter 27. Well, it's on 25, actually. This is Jacob. He had a wife by the name of Rebekah. And they had twins. First up. These twins were fighting. Esau and... Um, sorry, Esau and Jacob. Isaac was the father. And um, they were fighting. And so Rebekah, the mother, goes to inquire of the Lord what's going on. And this is what she's told before these twins are born in Genesis chapter 25. So she went to inquire of the Lord. And the Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other, the older shall serve the younger. That's not natural. It wasn't natural within society, it's not natural in what we would expect. These two brothers, as they grew up, the one was big and hairy and he was a hunter, and the other one liked to hang around the tents with his mom and cook. He was feminine or whatever, the equivalent of some sort of metrosexual back then. That's how he was. And, and you wouldn't expect that one to rule over a big hairy hunter. And the parents knew this from, from before they were born. This was the word of God given to them. God doing something that wasn't natural, but nonetheless something God was doing. And Genesis chapter 27, we read this account. Esau is now blind. He's old. Sorry, I'm getting all my names confused here. The father's old and blind, and uh, he wants to hand over his blessing. And this is how it transpired. So he went into his father and said, My father, and he said, Here I am. Who are you, my son? Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. He's lying there. I've done as you told me. Now sit up and eat of the game that your, and your, that your soul may bless me. But Isaac said to his son, How is it that you have found it so quickly, my son? He answered, Because the Lord your God granted me success. And Isaac said to Jacob, Please come here that I may feel you, my son, to know whether you are really my son Esau or not. So Jacob went near his father, Isaac, who felt him and said, The voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. He had, if you know the whole story, he had put goat skin on his arms and his chest. So Jacob went near his father, who felt him, the voice of Jacob, but the hands of Esau. And he did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's hands. So he blessed him. He said, are you really my son Esau? He's still doubting. He said, I am. Then he said, bring him near to me that I may eat of my son's game and bless you. So he brought him near to him and he ate. And he brought him wine and he drank. Then his father Isaac said to him, come near and kiss me, my son. So he came near and kissed him. And Isaac smelled the smell of his garments and blessed him and said, see, the smell of my son is the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. And this is reading it from, I guess, my natural wiring, it stood out to me one day, I read it many times, but I suddenly realized, there is a man, Isaac, he knew exactly what God was wanting to do. God has spoken very clearly prophetically into his life, and yet he wants some other outcome. In his mind, it didn't make sense that this younger son should be inheriting everything that he had. It should be going to the older son, the big, hairy hunter. And what does he do? His eyes are dim, can't see properly, first sense lets him down. He listens with his ears, and his ears are telling him the voice isn't quite right, but he's not sure. He calls him here, he feels him, so third sense, feels like the older son, deceived by the sense of touch. He smells him, and he tastes his food, and he uses all of his intellect to try to work out what's going on here, and all of it lets him down. He's deceived by all of it. 
And so in, in our lives today, we have this choice. We can listen to the politicians, we can listen to the economic commentators, we can listen to the psychologists, we can listen to all those sorts of people that provide us with information on the state of the world around us, and we can start making decisions based on what we hear and what we see. And that's one thing. I'm not saying that it's bad, but all they can do is tell you what the state of the world is. They cannot tell you what God is doing. One of the other things that I learned at university was this little entropy when we studied the laws of thermodynamics. It's this thing that everything is slowly heading towards a state of decay and chaos disorder. I said to the guys, I hope you didn't spend a long time, a lot of money researching this, because in the church we could have told you this for free a long time ago. <laughs> we call it sin, you call it entropy. It was rewritten into every genetic code and into the molecular structure of everything in all of creation at the fall of man. And from that time until now, everything has been slowly decaying and heading towards a state of disorder. But there's another story when you read the Bible, and it's wonderful when you look at the full breadth of Scripture. From Genesis to Revelations, there's another story of what God is doing, and He's bringing restoration. That restoration is exactly the opposite of the laws of entropy, the laws of thermodynamics, the natural laws that are at work within the world around us. And you see from the very beginning, and I won't go into this in too much detail, but from the very outset, from Genesis to Revelation, God is restoring stuff. He restores our relationship to Him. And we see this thread all the way through to Jesus and eventually to the book of Revelations, this thread of God restoring our relationship to Him as individuals. It's a story of God restoring family, setting apart a people for Himself that He can call His own that are holy. It starts with Abraham, one man. It's renewed with Noah and his sons and their wives. There's eight of them, or ten of them plus some children. It goes on to Moses and now a couple of million. This family growing and growing and growing, added thousands and thousands and thousands in the early church. And when we see the full completion of that story in the book of Revelations, it's ten thousands upon ten thousands worshiping God in the throne of heaven. God's family, God's people. There's a restoration of God's presence to His people. We were cut off of it, cut off from God's presence in Genesis. And there's this restoration that we read about this thread that runs all the way through the Bible. First, the tent of meeting outside of God's people with Moses, then brought into the center, the tabernacle, ordained, dedicated, end of, end of book of Exodus, the fire of God came. Then they built the temple. David and Solomon, when they dedicated that to Chronicles 7, the fire of God came. Finally, Pentecost, the fire of God came. The presence of God restored to his people. And again, in the book of Revelations, we see the full completion of that the restoration of God's presence to his people, us in the presence of God. No son needed, just asking in his glory. And you and I have this choice. I probably need to start with this revelation that there is a sovereign God in heaven who is establishing his world here on earth. And we can look around us, we can say, well, it certainly doesn't look like he's doing a very good job. It doesn't matter what country you come from. Your, your last problems are well documented around the world. Every country's got problems. I think these other countries have much bigger problems, they just don't know yet. Developed countries. We have this choice. We will stand in eternity one day. You know what? Everything that has ever happened in every single person's life, and we live our lives often with accusations of wrongdoing on God's, God's part. God, why this? Why that? And we'll stand in God's presence one day, and, and absolutely everything will be laid open. There will not be one human being who can point a finger at God and say that you were unjust. You were unfair. There is a sovereign God who is establishing His will, that will works opposite to the laws at work within the natural world around us. 
And you and I have this opportunity. Either we ask God to show us what He's doing, and we have a hand in bringing restoration to this creation, restoration to humanity, or He does it without us. How is it that we know what God's doing? If all we have is five senses, and with those five senses, we can perceive nothing of what God is doing. How is it that we, we can know what He is doing? How is it that we cooperate with Him? Because that's our, that's our problem as humans. Those five senses are all physical in nature. They're all finite in nature. You and I as human beings, finite, we're not eternal, and we're physical. God is spiritual, He is eternal, and He's infinite. It means that we can come to absolutely no understanding of who God is. It, 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 with our own understanding, our own comprehension, we can never understand even the first thing of who God is. It's got to be revealed to us as a starting point so we can be saved. And then getting on journey with Him and doing what He's doing requires constantly that we know what He's doing. How is it that we know? When we read Corinthians, it gives us some incredible insights. In Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 10. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit, this is capital S, searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person which is in him? So also, no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received, not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. A natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them, because they are spiritually discerned. We have this opportunity, because we have the Spirit of God within us, to be able to know what God is doing, what He's called us to. And when we get on journey with Him, the reality of heaven, the reality of Jesus, and the reality of what He's called us to, becomes an incredibly real thing. Grew up in a wonderful family, godly parents, three younger siblings. And one of the things, one of the tragedies in our family was we lost a brother. I was about eight years old. And he drowned in the swimming pool, managed to get through two pool fences and somehow drowned in the pool. And one of the things that blessed me incredibly was to see my parents' response to that. Got another family member on my in-law side. He also lost someone really close to him. And he's blamed God for the rest of his life. Angry with God. If God loved me, how could he have done this? And how many of us have been there? Suffered disappointment, maybe not to the extent of the loss of a loved one, but we've suffered disappointment. And we immediately and instinctively blame God. How could God, if he loves me, have allowed this thing to happen? And one of the things that's blessed me was my parents' response. You know what their response was? Their response was, we live in an imperfect world. Bad things sometimes happen. But they continue to serve God. Continued to have quiet times. We went to church every Sunday because somehow by the grace of God they were able to see beyond just the natural. They were able to see something into eternity that actually God's doing something there. Wherever you might be, all of us suffer speed bumps on the road. You have this opportunity. What do I do? I blame God. Try and work this out through my own intellect. You'll end up bitter and offended and upset probably walk away from your faith or do I ask God to reveal to me what's going on here? Help me to walk through this thing. One of the probably biggest, bigger faith steps that my wife and I have been on was adopting two girls and um, 
we, we had, before we even married, we felt there were prophetic words over each of us individually, and we felt this will be in our future sometime. At the age of 20, we decided we'll to stop preparing ourselves, and this was before we were even married. Uh, we went down to the local Salvation Army, and we used to go play sport with the kids on Sundays and Saturdays. And it was an interesting lot, some rough kids there. Uh, we, we stopped playing cricket because they used to throw the wickets at each other. You know, if they weren't happy with being bowled out or whatever. But that was the start of our preparation, you know, just actually loving some unlovely kids. And a couple of years later, we were 26 at the time. So about six or seven years later, uh, after spending quite a bit of time with Salvation Army, my wife phoned me one day and said, um, there's a girl that's been kicking her home. She's sitting in our living room. I think she might be with us for a while. And it didn't require too much more of a conversation because that conversation had happened many years prior. God had spoken to me, had spoken to her. I arrived, the first time I met her, was in my living room. And we just said, we, we, we don't know what's going on. We kicked out of home. We don't know if this will be for an hour or a week or a month or forever. But we want you to know that for as long as you are home, we'll treat you like our daughter. Months later, her, her younger sister who had gone to another family, they said, Yo, we, this is more than we thought. We thought it would be a week and she'd go back. We can't cope. So her 15-year-old sister joined us, 15 and a 16-year-old, two teenage girls, the most complicated creature in all of God's creation. <laughs> I was 26, horribly ill-equipped to deal with this. And they weren't just teenage girls, but they were hurting teenage girls and damaged teenage girls. And um, I, I tell you, what God has done in us, through them, you want to understand the grace of God, and the mercy of God, and the forgiveness of God, and just the cost of what He did for you and I, as orphans at a much higher level, you adopt a child. Boy, will God speak to you. You'll do incredible things in their life too, but He will do incredible things in your life. As you step out, you go, this isn't happening, and people, people said you're mad. And you're crazy, but your own kids, they're going to cause trouble with your own kids. And, and we did not, not like we were in a position to actually financially cope with this lot. There, there were times, I could laugh about it then, I can laugh about it now. There were times I fed everyone handing in empty Coke bottles to get bread and milk. That was dinner for tonight, and I didn't know where dinner for tomorrow was coming from. We had just started a business. It's just the worst possible time in the natural. And yet we felt that God had said it. We walked this journey. And the things that God has done in, in us as a couple, in us as a family, and, and I've trusted them too. They both are married, they're out of home, 26, 27, waiting for kids now. Uh, we'll be grandparents, probably before we're 40. <laughs> so, probably some sort of a record. Um, incredible thing. And, and it might not be for everyone. And God hasn't all called us to adopt, He hasn't all called us to preach, He hasn't called us to lead worship. But I think that there's something worth going before God and saying, Lord, what is, what is it that you've called me to? I can tell you it's more than just a mundane life, paying your bills, coming to church on Sunday, maybe home group in the midweek, getting involved in the serving team. God has, for you and I, a massive, massive faith journey. And, and this thing, I promise you, is terrifying as it looks, and it is hard. It is hard. As hard as it is, you will learn things about God and about yourself and about your own sonship that you, you, you probably will not learn any other way. I'd love to pray for us. Can I maybe, should we get the banner? I'm going to carry on. Should we have the banner just to play? Thanks, Rich.
These guys have done a lot of work this weekend. Can I ask you to stand? And, um, this morning that you'd open our spiritual eyes to what it is that you're doing. Father, in, in marriages here this morning, maybe where spouses are looking at this thing from a, a natural perspective, natural eyes, natural ears, and there just doesn't seem to be any hope. Father, I pray you open spiritual eyes this morning. God, in families, maybe there needs to be reconciliation and it seems hopeless. Restoration seems impossible. Father, I pray you open spiritual eyes this morning. God, in businesses. Father, as this group of people look at a country around them, they wonder what the heck is going on. Father, I pray that you speak to individuals here. That God, you are busy establishing your will on this earth. You are establishing your will on this earth. You will establish your will on this earth. And Father, may this be a group of people who cooperate in establishing that will. Don't sit in the sidelines watching you do it. Father, I pray for faith to rise up here. God, in a, in a natural situation that might look bleak, Father, I pray for hope to rise up in this place. Yeah, and Father, it wouldn't just be a case of survival. You haven't called us to survive. We are more than conquerors. You've called us to prosper. You've called us to advance. And Father, I pray that over this local church, there would be an incredible inheritance. An incredible inheritance. Father, I pray that in the years to come, this building would be too small. And Father, up and down the aisles would be children. would be given a second chance in families. And Father, this church would become a prophetic picture of what it is that you've done for each and every single one of us. Adopting us, sons, into your family. Yeah, thank you, Jesus. Father, where there needs to be restoration here this morning. Father, I pray that you bring by your Holy Spirit. But even without us laying on hands or calling people out or praying specifically, Father, I pray that supernaturally by your Holy Spirit this morning in this place you bring restoration to marriages, to families, to bodies, to health, 